When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, rock and rollers, to another episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded right here in London, just off Abbey Road. And for those who don't know, this is a podcast between Wolf, me, Mac B, and his old friend Action Jackson, who lived together during an important time of our lives, but then grew apart over the years. Recently, we've reconnected, and we realized there's a lot of conversations about rock and roll that we missed out on over the years. And that's a lot about what this podcast is about. Apart from being stuck in lockdown without a whole lot else, to do, we want to be able to catch up and have the conversations about stuff we remember and stuff we've learned in the years since. And on today's show, we want to talk about an album that was very big during the time we lived together, and that's Metallica's Black Album, which came out in 1991, which spawned huge hits like Enter Sandman, Nothing Else Matters, Unforgiven, Sad But True, Wherever I May Roam, and spawned an enormous tour that really put Metallica to the forefront of rock royalty. Of course, they were on the tour part of that year with Guns N' Roses, and at the time, Guns N' Roses was easily the biggest band in the world. But Metallica had a sterling reputation as an amazing live band, and they went out and toured with Guns N' Roses. And now, 30 years later, that was kind of the high point for Guns N' Roses. That's as big as they got in 1992-93. They never released an album of any import, and they really never toured again until maybe the last five or six years when eventually Axel got back together with Duff and Slash to make Guns N' Roses a big touring draw again. Whereas on the other hand, Metallica shot up to the hallowed halls of rock and roll. They're easily the greatest heavy metal band in American history into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and have done some great albums and huge tours ever since. So let's look back at that 1991, 92, 93 period when Metallica ruled the earth here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. In the United States, it says sixteen million eight thirty, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I think that's kind of light. I don't know because I mean, I guess it is what it is. But I mean, this thing, everybody had this. 
and everybody still has this thing. Yeah, well, so it's it's the first of the sound scan era to hit that number, I guess. You know, it, they used to kind of estimate it a little bit back in the days, so or they would take record companies' words for it, like, oh, yeah, we shipped and sold, you know, this many or whatever. Okay. But this was sound scan based on right, what gets sold in stores. We can actually track it through technology. Like, here's what it sold. And allegedly, that 16.8 million is, is like the highest, you know, tracked by them basically with sound scan, I suppose. So, but so that's diamond plus six or seven times platinum on top of it. You figure, I mean, I mean, really, it's 17 million. So, I mean, if diamond is 10, mm-hmm. that's almost close to going double diamond. But like, you know, in Australia, it went 12 times platinum, you know, in Britain, two times, and in Italy, three times, and, you know, in New Zealand, 12 times platinum, Sweden, four times, you know, Ireland, or, you know, three times, four times, two times, all sorts of places all over the world, more than 30 million sold. That's a juggernaut. That's a huge, huge seller, especially for a metal album. Well, and the thing is, too, let me see. When did the singles come out? Because it, it just like it never stops. Yeah, it was. So it was. You had, it was over like three years almost. It was certainly over correct. two that it yeah, continued so, to happen. Yeah, it just it never went away. I mean, Enter Sandman came out in on July 29th, nineteen ninety one. Sad but true is they're saying the last single, mm-hmm. February eighth, nineteen ninety three. So it just it, yeah, it, just, it was always it was ever present on rock radio at that point in time and on MTV. And remember, you know, mm-hmm. Metallica famously did not do videos for years. You know, they built it up just by word of mouth by going out and playing hard and giving them a hell of a show and then people like yeah you gotta see this band Metallica they would trade tapes and then they got on good tours they toured with a ton of bands just got out there and worked and they had delivered great stuff I mean look Kill Em All is a classic Metallica record changed the game for metal but then Ride the Lightning is, is awesome. I mean, how much did you listen to that? How big a step forward is that, you know? And then a lot of people will tell you that's the best. A lot of people will tell you that Master of Puppets is the best. And just have your second and third albums be those two, that's kind of unbelievable. Then finally, with Injustice for All, I think even the record company's like, we gotta, we gotta do a video, you know, we gotta do something to help sell this and make it even bigger, you know? So they did the one video, which was, of course, enormous, and a real introduction to Metallica for a lot of suburbia, uh, and people may Maybe who weren't familiar with the how heavy metal had become. So they were the, pretty much Metallica was like the world's biggest underground band. I mean, to your point, you know, people people had heard of them. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I've heard of them before. And yeah, like maybe you had a tape somewhere, but no, you weren't ever going to hear them on rock radio. You were never going to see them on MTV. They had uh, they had a big Mad Dog rabid fans who had. They would go to the shows and they would buy the T-shirts and listen to the music. And there were a lot of people too. I knew there were a lot of people like when I was in high school, people that had Metallica T-shirts that maybe they like. Have you really heard this? Or are you just trying to be cool? <laughs> because it was a, it was kind of like a red, it was kind of like a red badge of courage to have Metallica swag. And then they hit with this thing. And reading up on this, I don't know. They swore up and down. They wanted to, you know, oh, maybe a heavier sound. But I mean. In 1991, this thing was perfect for MTV. I mean, it, it was, it kind of, it almost kind of legitimized them a little more at that point in time because it wasn't a, it wasn't a Motley crew. It wasn't uh, kind of like the glam bands. Like they had Guns N' Roses that mm-hmm. were kind of hard. And then this came out and it was like, oh, okay, cool. We can, we can have a hard rock band on MTV. And Enter Sandman, once I remember I saw it, I was going somewhere and I saw it and I was like, uh oh, this is going to be big. <laughs> this is going to, I mean, they're all, these, these dudes, they were all in black. Nobody was wearing, you know, makeup. Mm-hmm. Nobody had, you know, fit spandex on. This was black right. jeans, black t-shirts. Their hair's and, not teased up. They're not wearing nope. makeup or anything, you know, and they're wearing no. basic black on black, you know, maybe some sweatbands, and that's about it. Correct. And Hetfield, like, he's a he's a pretty big dude, but I think the other guys in the band are kind of smaller, too. So it just in seeing him with the other guys, he looks like somebody who really is going to probably jump off the stage and punch you in the face yes. just because that's that's the vibe that he puts out very look yeah he's, he's he's very intimidating he comes and stands in front of the microphone and takes a stance and he's playing those power chords that you know if tony iomi is the true riff master of metal james hetfield's got to be like number two or one a or something like that man i mean that's what he does and 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 i was going to bring up on this on this record you can say it about all of them but it, but it, it seems like on this record his voice grew up a 
little bit. And when he sings with anger, which he does on all of them, sometimes it seems like he might be shouting. But it seems, just feels like on the Black Album, he found his voice even more. Obviously, they did some softer songs on this, like Nothing Else Matters, and he still had to get up there and belt it out in the middle of that thing, you know. But, but it seems like, I don't know, it's almost like it's clearer on the record for the loud songs, for the big hits, for the deep tracks. I don't know, James, his vocals just stand out a little bit more to me on this one. Yeah, and then it comes down to what you wanted to do and the choices that you made. They made the conscious choice to pick up Bob Rock, who is a was a big-time rock and roll producer. He produced uh, Dr. Feelgood from Motley Crue, which was easily their biggest record they ever put out. Mm-hmm. They He produced one that's near and dear to my heart, Sonic Temple. And so he, I think he really pushed them to write, you know, it kind of in quotes, better songs, but more heavier songs, maybe have a little more, you know, the lyrics are a little more complex. And yeah, take James Hetfield from a guy who just screams to somebody who, who sings more and has that, they tune the guitars down just a heavier, lower register that, I mean, I think he sounds fantastic on this record. I mean, the, the, this record makes the, the old records seem, I don't want to say cheap because that's not the word I'm looking for, but it, like they were more garage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. And this was like a, you know, I think it took him eight months in LA and I think they were all about ready to kill each other at the end because he was just a taskmaster, but he got them a mm. 16 million seller record. So yeah, I think this was a conscious deal. These were more rock radio friendly deals the the songs on the earlier albums were more just like running as fast as you could mm-hmm. toward a wall i mean it's like they they invented thrash metal this is not thrash this is more hard rock heavy metal right yeah absolutely and the thing is yeah i mean 16 million in the u.s 30 million plus worldwide they also toured the heck out of it because like you said the singles kept coming five singles all of them selling over a million worldwide think about that Five and and the CD single was a thing there. And Metallica is famously done a lot of covers over the years, then covers in their mm-hmm. act. And so you know you throw yeah here's a hit single plus and there's Stone Cold Crazy on there as well. You know you could sell CD singles and those sold in the millions. So that's just so much power to be able to keep going right and to stay on MTV. It's like it's been a year and a half. We don't want to see Enter Sandman anymore. Okay, we're we're over that one. Well, you know, what about Sad But True? Oh, yeah, well, that's the new one. Let's play the heck out of that for two or three months. You know, and and seriously, and so we think about it as freshman year because it had come out in the summer, I guess, and that's when Enter Sandman was released was that summer. Yeah, like right before we got there. Before we got yeah. there. But then once we were there, you know, obviously it blew up. And then it was sophomore year that we actually saw them on that tour. And they toured on the album for two and a half years. Hundreds and hundreds of shows, including, you know, the run I, with Guns N' Roses, which, you know, yeah, infamously... I've, some, I've got some notes here. Yeah, go ahead. They, they started the tour on August 1st of 1991, and that ended on December 18th, 1992. 224 shows. Oh. Then, yeah, then they jump in. So from, from December, then they go to... They start in July in 92 with Guns N' Roses mm-hmm. and do that giant double headliner tour, 26 shows, uh, until October of 1992. And then they take a break from October to January of 93, from January to July, 77 shows. So altogether, 1991 to 1993, 327 shows. That is insane. It's crazy. And just little breaks in between. Yeah, and it's all over the world. It's not just America. They go to Europe. They go to Australia. Did they go to Jakarta or someplace? They went some crazy places. They have to go to South America. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Yes, to think that human beings could put up with that is is just nuts. Because I mean, you're never you wouldn't even know where you were after a while. Like they would have to just. Oh, we are? Okay. Uh, great. Argentina, here we come. Yeah, and it's not like it's always smooth sailing because the Guns N' Roses thing didn't work all that well. And Axel being the boy that he is didn't make it any easier on anybody. And the, the night that James got blown up uh, in one of those flash pots and burned his arm, which is, I believe, why they had to stop for a while. And then he went out and was just like, ah, the security sucks. I'm going to leave. And they tore the place it. up, you know. That, yeah. Stuff happens out there, but he makes it worse, you know, so. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I, I think that was one of those things that they instantly regretted. Like, it sounded like a good idea on paper. You got two of the biggest bands in the world. You know, the fans are very similar. We're, this is going to kill it. And then it's like, oh, uh, maybe we made a mistake working with this dude. Yeah, you know. 
and then like and they all they all got divorced like between making the record which was hard work and then doing this ridiculous tour they all got divorced and I think that was part of you know what am I staying home for let's go let's go you want another 40 dates sure let's play it you know that's yeah. how many yeah. more millions great you know and, and speaking of millions and so you know Metallica finally was starting to kind of get the Stones treatment a little bit and that the cameras are kind of always around when they're working right I mean if they're backstage the cameras are on they're on stage, obviously cameras are on them. And there's this great, and I don't know if it was on the uh, the live <laughs> Binge and Purge or if it was the one that was before a year and a half on the road with Metallica. You know, they showed Jason Newstead at like the craft services table that they keep around, you know, for everybody to have food, you know, who's putting up the show and stuff like that. And so like after the show or before the show, he's got like his duffel bag there and he's sticking sandwiches from craft services into his bag so that when he gets to the hotel after the show if he's hungry he can eat and they're like jason you're gonna make millions this year why why don't you just order room service when you get to the hotel he goes because i got plans for those millions and and eat f***ing sandwiches and i'm like i've loved that quote that's one of the great rock and roll quotes ever and it's so anti-rock and roll it's not like you know if i wreck my rolls royce bring me two more you know it's it's you know it's like i don't need to waste money on that stuff i got a life to live outside of metallica and i ain't for f***ing sandwiches yeah I want I want two fillets, one to eat, one to throw on the floor or something. Yeah, yeah, I, I think they were. I I really think that they probably weren't ready for this echelon. They, I mean, you think you are, but yeah, again, they, they're used to you know lean, mean, doing whatever they wanted to, touring all the time, and now you've got this giant production with, like you said, cameras everywhere. I, I know that one one of the things that Lars said was that they were just even though they they famous now and big and selling a million records, they were still never thought of as like royalty mm-hmm. and they got mad there's a scene in the i think it's nothing else matters where they're in the the studio and he's got a picture of kip winger and they're throwing darts at it right and and they're and somebody said to him like well you really hated kip winger. he's like i didn't really it didn't even register who it was it was somebody in like you know hit parader magazine like the, the person they just put him up and threw because we hated everybody we just were <laughs> Was us against the world, and I think that was the I mean, again to the getting divorced and everything else. Like you're just there's just so much anger that they mm-hmm. something to prove, and so yeah, it's a it's a whole different deal. Like you think you're ready for it, and I don't think the answer is that you are. Well, it, I mean, it changed their lives. Record. I mean, if you if you took eight months to make a record and you've got how many tra- how many tracks on twelve it? tracks, uh, five twelve tracks, and yeah, in eight months, how many times you did that? I can't play this song anymore. I can't. No, one sing it one more time. Sing it again. Play that part again. And I think there's another. I can't remember where it is, but there's a Kirk Hammett was saying that uh, you know Rock would just say to him, "You can play it better than that." Yeah, that was terrible. And it's like, okay. I think it was nothing else matters in in maybe one of those documentaries that that I watched. You know, he, they had the basic track, and he needed to come and do the solo. And the solo was not what ended up you know on the song. And and yeah, and Rock was over and like, yeah. You don't want to put that on. You know, I want to see, <laughs> give me guitars to the year. You're Mr. Guitar World, Guitar Player of the Year, whatever he had won recently. He's like that. Yeah. I want to see that because that wasn't it. And I'm like, ooh, good. But, you know, he must have been right because the one that ends up on the track that is famous around the world now was pretty tight. But it's interesting because if you want to start from the beginning, Enter Sandman. The usually the formula is that Headfield is the riff master, and mm-hmm. apparently on this one, Kirk Hammett actually came up with that main riff to the song. So I, it, this was, I think, a departure from the usual Headfield Ulrich, and then the other two guys come in. They're credited. Hammett is the lead writer on this one with Headfield and Ulrich. Yeah, good for him because it's a, it's a huge hit. It just changed their fortunes. Unbelievable <laughs> how this launched them. And it's like, yeah. People, all right, you watched MTV, you were growing up in the 80s, you got one. If you didn't get to Metallica before that, you at least got one, you're aware of them, okay, they're super heavy, they're a little different from the other stuff that we usually see on MTV, but that was a super heavy song. And this comes out, it's heavy, but it's also accessible heavy. It's not super, it's not super fast, but it's super heavy. Yeah, it you know, is. The, the riff at the beginning is, you could you could actually maybe play it yourself 
you know, if you listen to it enough, a lot of this stuff from Italia, you are not. I mean, this that was way above people's pay grades. This you can actually pick out. Oh, hey, I can play the I can play the main riff to this, and then the drums are not super fast in the beginning, but they feel like you're getting punched in the face. That's what I was going to say too. Oh, what is this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, Lars has always been uh, a creative and powerful drummer, but it seems like the drums were just captured in a way here that he didn't have to always play that fast, but when we hit those bass drums, and didn't have to do like the double kick like he was really doing on the end of one. If anything, Injustice for All was kind of a huge ultimate thrash metal album. The songs really stretched out and they'll wear you out and they'll kick your ass. And so this is a little bit different direction. And certainly a lot of the real true Metallica fans who had gotten there before MTV and then And Justice For All really took it to the level of epic thrash. When this comes out, they're like, hey, man, what the... What is this? So it's a double-edged sword because, yeah, it opened the world to them. You know, a lot of people, suburbanites, females, right, people who had no or little interest in Metallica before had to set up and take notice on this album. It did also cut backwards and that some of the real hardcore fans and big-time musicians themselves, I've seen them say, so I got the Black Album, I listened to it, I'm like, what the hell was that? And I threw it away because it wasn't what I wanted after those previous couple albums. And if you're, if you're a real hardcore, like from the beginning Metallica fan, this was a sellout record. Mm-hmm. This was, oh, okay, now you want to be on major radio, you want to be on MTV, you stink because, yeah, you know, you sold out, you gave up. This isn't the band, you know, that we grew up with. But at some point in time, you have to decide, we go stay where we are Mm -hmm. or do we go down a different path? And the different path is giant success. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, too, how many people that said that in 1991 Mm -hmm. would say, you know what, I like it now. I mean, I didn't at the beginning. I I wanted to hate this thing, but it's really is I mean it does give him a little bit of thrash. Yeah, but some in there. back to the back to the Enter Sandman deal, I think that was a lot of Bob Rock too, because I know on Dr. Feelgood, he really tried to showcase Tommy Lee's drums. He really mm. likes that base of drum is what drives the whole track. Right. The foundation there, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, and it's similar to like when Rush prog people and hard rock people like Rush, and then they get in the '80s, they start doing stuff like Power Windows and Grace Under Pressure, and it, it turns them off. Like, yeah, I still don't even like that. So maybe some people still don't like that, or it's not their favorite album. Certainly, I understand that, but my doubt is that in the last 30 years, you've totally given up to on Metallica and, and didn't like anything they put out afterwards, like Death Magnetic or, or anything like that. But it, it, like, it, hey, if I had to choose one or the other, I'd go the path they went. Yeah. It, it, and the thing is, too, so it, it turns into damned if you do and damned if you don't. If you mm-hmm. put the same record out, they're like, Ugh, these guys can only do one thing. And then you try something different. Well, you sell it. You know what? I mean, you can't please everybody. No, and I saw Lars once do an interview, and it was with Sam Dunn, who is uh, he's made a lot of heavy metal pictures. He's a big heavy metal fan growing up. Now he makes movies, and he's you know he's worked with Ronnie James Dio. He's worked with he's worked with all the all the guys that you know he and we love growing up. And he kind of asked him about. He told Lars point blank how disappointed he was with the Black Album after And Justice for All was his Metallica album, and it was really the one that was the greatest ever, and all that. And and Lars like, look, I'm sorry, but as an artist, I just couldn't make and justice for all too it's not what i wanted to do and we knew we were a better band than all these bands that get on mtv and sell more records and all that stuff so we're gonna be heavy but you know we're gonna change it we're gonna grow a little bit and it paid off <laughs> so what do you have for sad and true it's slow this, to me, this is yeah mm-hmm. this is another one where it starts off slow and then the drums are just out in front again and then that riff comes in, and, and again, it's not thrash, but it's pretty killer. Yeah, and it's it's got it's more Sabbathy at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of got that yeah. heavy thing going, and then they speed it up to more of a Metallica thing. But my my thing on it was uh, James's vocal. Again, he's he's yelling, he's shouting, hate. I'm your hate, and but it wasn't just yelling. It was he was singing it too, but, it, but yeah. you felt it like a venomous thing about it. And, and you know, there's stuff. There's a lot of depression and stuff like that in their songs. It's, it's something I think he truly felt. But, you know, at some point, and it really came through in the song. And it's it's pretty yeah. It, it, for a for a rock radio track, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty mean. It's pretty if you listen to it, like you said, the lyrics are uh, yeah, they're heavy duty, and it, I like this song because it's not the traditional track and it's just that it's just it's just super heavy like you said it's more black sabbathy 
almost mm-hmm. a real departure from what they'd done before. And it was the fifth of the five singles. It was the last one. But, you know, it, for folks like us who listened to the album, we knew this song fairly well yeah. by the time it became a single. Like, oh, that's going to be the single now? Because you may not always make it all the way through the 12 songs because it's more than an hour. And sometimes after getting bludgeoned for 45 minutes, you're like, <laughs> you got to take a break. Yeah, put on something light like the cult, you know, <laughs> which isn't exactly light, but it's a little more, okay, yeah, let's let's wind this back a little bit. You always heard Santa True. I wanted to go back and, and kind of revisit the ones that aren't the singles to help okay. them stand out, you know. And the third track, Holier Than Now, now see, that that is a little more thrashy to me. Right. You know, yeah. If if you were a, if you were an old school Metallica fan, you might go through the first two like, uh, and then you oh, okay, here we go. Now this is what I'm used to. Yeah, and then you get a little talk box kind of thing from Kurt. You get a little distortion later, and it's it's a shorter mm-hmm. song for them. I mean, Metallica can stretch some songs out. Usually it's between yeah. six and ten minutes as your typical Metallica song, and this is less than four. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, sometimes back in the day, because the the first five songs, four of them are singles. This is the one that's not. And it can be overlooked in what would be kind of the first side or the first half of the record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you're right. I think it does kind of get lost a little bit between all of the singles. I mean, yeah, you have Sandman, Sad But True, this one, Unforgiven, Wherever I May Roam. Yeah, I can see how you would kind of, kind of gloss over it but no it's a it's a pretty it's a good track standalone by itself then boom number four is Unforgiven which was the second single and an enormous single an enormous video and it it spawned one of the more enormous disappointments with the sequel Unforgiven 2 yes uh, was that on I think it was on Reload yes that was extremely disappointing this is another one of those uh, songs where if you you know you're listening to this thing this is not a Metallica song this is like a it's almost it's I mean I don't want to say it's a ballad because he it's it's a lot simpler but it's it's super it's like it's crushing you almost yeah because it's so heavy and and going back to what you were saying before the solo on this is just killer i don't know how many times he had recorded but good for you bob rock for making him stay in there because it's awesome that's right kirk kills it on that solo yeah it's not the typical kirk hammett like super you're flying all over the fretboard it's slow but it's it's pretty brutal and it sounds great in this song the video imagery when you're talking about the young man and the old man when he's trying to to dig his way out and it turns out he had the key in his hand all the time it's like this there are prisons that aren't they don't have bars on them and it it's like, oh man, some heavy duty stuff, you know, it's like, because <laughs> they could have put Chumbawamba on as the next video, right? And it wouldn't have had, Correct. it could have been Right Said Fred, which was popular with the sorority girls around that time, right? That could have been the next video. So it's like, you go from that, it's like, wow, that really makes you think it's heavy. Oh my God. And it's like, oh, I'm too sexy for that. <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay, here we go. La, la, la. So, I mean, it showed a different kind of maturity, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, a huge weird, song. When you think about when you think about that song and that time that it was a hit is is pretty funny because yes there was Chumbawamba and uh, you know just that kind of that poppy the early '90s crap that they had out it was definitely a it, if you were sitting there watching MTV you were excited because it was something different if people were still watching MTV in 1991 we we were yeah it was still pretty big time so yeah this was kind of like the last days of cool MTV stuff yeah, actually putting out videos by artists who make music and write their songs and play their instruments craziness and then yeah and then we're Wherever I may, anywhere I roam, wherever I may roam, was the fifth song. It was the fourth single. That was, that was cool because it had the video that went with that was like the life on the road, mm. you know, playing everywhere. Just you know, it, you got a field in the middle of something. We'll do it. Boom, set the stage up and we'll play. And yeah, just that never ending. I think there were a couple of a couple of scenes of them just you know on the bus after the show, just wiped out. Mm-hmm. And that's just that was just their life at that point in time. Well, yeah, backstage wearing the robe with they don't even have a beer at that point. You know, they have a bottle of water like... Because we saw on the tour, man, no opening act. They play for three plus hours and they play Metallica, mm-hmm. blistering stuff. I was exhausted and I was just standing there, man. I was so tired at the end of the show, which we can get into in a little bit. But yeah, I just put that it's a great band song. And it yeah. made sense at that point after you'd already been touring for two years and we're going to tour more. Yeah, sure. Put that single out, right? Why not? It makes sense. It's what's going to happen. 
And it's why I mean, three hundred plus shows on that tour, and it's why they still they still do it. It's something if you're a if you're a rock and roller, even if you're not a multimillionaire and one of the biggest in the world like they are, you got to get out and play live. It's just kind of what you do. It's what gives you that life energy um, to to kind of keep doing it. And you know they do they done that deal where the, it was called the big four where it's them it's metallica megadeth anthrax and slayer i believe and i see that and i'm like yeah you say that but really people are there to see metallica i mean right. you know you may be a fan of the rest of those bands but i mean they still are the preeminent touring band they're the ones that can sell out stadiums they're the draw yeah. and yeah all these years later and i think it's because of this because people know they are when you go to see a metallica show you are going to get everything Thing that you paid for you're going to get your face kicked in for three hours yeah. i mean maybe not on the festival that's a little uh, deal right? you got you got to shorten that up a little bit but you're you're never going to get you're never going to get a phoned in performance that's for sure that's for sure and i've seen them a few times and yeah they come out and deliver man it's it's yeah. it's fun it's it's kick-ass all right on to don't tread on me this is very metallica to me mm-hmm. it kind of got that old school crunch to it and i mean i think bob rock wanted to release this as a single early on but you know not a single but a, a pretty cool metallica song and the there's there's a there's got to be a little more to this because if you look at the the cover the snake mm-hmm. is on the front of it and that's on the the whatever that flag is the don't tread on me flag one of those regiment flags or mm-hmm. something so i think there's a real feeling of you know kind to leave me alone don't mess with me don't you know don't tell me what to do i think that's been a big influence in headfield's life mm-hmm. of the you know just i didn't i think that could have come from his upbringing of you know he i think he was told what to do quite a bit as a kid i think he was a christian scientist in mm-hmm. fact i know he was he was and so this could be a you know kind of a rebellion deal against all that too but and it's a cool track and it's cool to sing it too don't put on me <laughs> that's right yeah great metallica <laughs> song man love it you know yeah and then through the never of course they eventually named their what would you did you see the movie through the never that was yes. kind of like part concert but it's also kind of a concept film correct yeah no i saw it because i'm like if they put it out i'm gonna watch it yeah mm-hmm. it was a little like huh that's a departure because i mean the concert parts were cool and then it was the kid and he had the deal and he was running through the streets and yeah i thought i, re- I remember that too thinking through the never huh interesting to call back to this record um, it's a cool it's, it's another cool metallica song yeah too. it starts fast it's kind of you know a classic feel to it it's, it's got the cool chorus you know it's kind of got that start stop thing in it a little bit yeah um it's it's probably a little tricky to play live but it's it's cool and again it's it's only about four minutes it's not one of their big long let's stretch this out kind of thing kind of comes in hits you in the face and, and moves on now the eighth song on the album was the third single nothing else matters this video i feel like was a studio video it kind of showed them recording in the studio a, a lot and, and maybe showed- you know what you're absolutely right and i take it back this was the one this is also the one where i think uh lars was showing you the picture of uh, like i said i think it was kip winger mm-hmm. and yeah it was it, this just kind of chronicled them in the studio making this whole deal and just getting bludgeoned to death do it again do it again do it again right uh, but this was cool because it was uh it, it's not super complicated but it's headfield playing the solo and it's kind of a cool departure to watch him do that um than having kirk hammett do every single one yeah that's right you know and it's kind of soft i mean it is quiet yes it kind of ramps up and the, the solo's hot in yeah. the middle but you know it, it's not complicated to play look my six-year-old daughter takes guitar lessons and one of her friends who's probably in the first or second grade. She's like, my dad showed me how to play this song this week. It's called Nothing Really Matters. And I want to say it's Nothing Else Matters. It's for my child. Um, but the, 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 guitar, the guitar teacher, who's a little nicer than me, is like, ah, oh, Metallica, yes, I like this very much. It's it's an, Again, it's accessible, right? Yes. Yeah, you can sit there and you can pick that out on the guitar. Hey, I'm playing a Metallica song. Yeah, okay. Not the whole thing, but that's fine. You can, you know, at least impress people. And it was, there's, I think there's some uh, orchestral arrangements in there too, and that's a departure. And there's a really cool scene where you're showing, they show the control room and the board all set up, and, mm-hmm. you know, they've got a thousand tracks and everything. And that that's just a really, I, I always like that production side of it. But yeah, this was definitely a departure. More things being put in, more of a, it's a, it really kind of, I don't want to say it puts the brakes on the record, but it's a nice break in the record. Did Michael Kamen do the uh, the string arrangement for this, or he may have? I mean, he's he's a pretty big. He was the go to guy back then, so yeah, he did. Yeah, he he did, and uh, you know, obviously, Kamen kind of helped them with the Symphony and Metallica stuff later. Mm-hmm. And Kamen's worked with, I mean, like Pink Floyd and people like that to, to beef up their stuff. So that's again, this is 
a band that's maturing and maybe leaving behind some of their garage roots to make that next step. Right. And it paid off. Now, as the wolf, I guess I have to like of Wolf and Man, right? Yeah, you really do. But this is to my point from earlier. The album is is more than an hour long, you know, 63, 64 minutes, something like that. So yeah. after you get through song number eight, you've had five singles, you've had a few other songs, a good 45 minutes or so, 40 minutes. Sometimes you might not listen to the last four songs on the record. But this kind of has that stomp, stomp, you know, at the beginning, stomp, stomp thing to it. And then gets into the, it's a heavy song that shape shift, but they may do that a little too much. I don't know. It's not one of their longer songs again. And there's that kind of talking part in it. I do like the song, but do they, do they go back to the well on shape shift too much? It's, it's not like there's a lot to this. There's not a lot, a lot of signature changes or time changes, mm-hmm. not a lot of chord changes. There's a solo, of course, but it, it's, it, it's, it's condensed, I guess, for a reason. So it's fairly simple as far as Metallica goes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like you said, it's one of those ones where if you're, if you're listening to the whole thing, you might skip it just because you've, you've already, you're kind of tired and mm-hmm. you might need a little break. Right. But, I, but I do like it. They did play it live when we saw them and it was mm-hmm. good live. Uh, I do yes. remember that. It's, it's a great live song. So it, maybe it's it's just kind of on this part of the album, you're starting to get a little... Because most albums are 45 minutes long, 43, 45, 47, somewhere in there. In the 70s, a lot of those Kiss records and Van Halen records were in the 30s, you know? So this is over an hour. That can kind of bludgeon you after a while. Uh, not the longest Metallica right. record, but still, you know, you usually get eight, nine, ten songs on a Metallica record, and this one had 12. But moving on to The God That Failed, I mean, this has got the heavy bass in it. I like that because it, it's not the, it's not your typical Metallica song because usually it's the it's the guitar riff. This is the bass out front and center, mm-hmm. which famously on and Justice for All there is no bass. I mean, go back and listen to it, Hunt. There is there's no bass. So to hear that, you're like, oh, cool. I mean, it's just a nice departure, a nice real heavy bass riff, and this song is. Uh, I did some research on it for this thing. So so Hetfield was a. Christian scientist growing up Mm -hmm. and I guess his it was his mother I think died of cancer and she never went to the doctor right because God will heal yes and he didn't and so you failed me and just that child thinking hmm Maybe this is not right. Maybe something's wrong here. Right. Ooh, sorry, little James Hetfield. Give yeah, you or something. But you know, that's that's wow. heavy. That's a heavy thing to sing about. But that's kind of what they do. You know, that yeah. and, and drink their sorrows away. They were famously called Alcoholica for years. Yes. And in the some kind of monster movie, we saw James, you know, which was 12 years after this or whatever it was, James finally went to rehab. Yeah. And and that if you yeah, I remember watching that the first time and that was a that was a an accident. Like they didn't really they just filmed it and it took him like a year or something to make that Saint Anger record. And it was just, yeah, like everything just came out. And mm-hmm. so I can imagine that, you know, you said like you said, that was 12 years later. There was a lot of stuff going on there. Like they were kind of keeping everything like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, just have another beer and you'll be fine but you know very slow throughout the song Kirk had a big time solo with it. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, but yeah. Unfortunately, like you said before, this is why, this is one of those tracks, like pretty much, pretty much after nothing else matters. If you're really not pushing yourself, you might just skip all the rest of these because you've already kind of got all the singles out of the way. But this is a good song. This is a good song. And the next song, My Friend of Misery, I totally forgotten about this song. And it's very different from most Metallica mm-hmm. songs. This is one that actually Jason got a writing credit on. And Jason doesn't have many writing credits uh, on in the history of Metallica albums you know this is one of about two or three and it's got the cool bass intro and it, it, it has a bit of a groove to it which is not mm-hmm. not necessarily it's not that you really see in Metallica Metallica is very straight of war bop 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 double bass drum and then you know they slow down a little bit for the solo is that a synth guitar or a synth uh, thing that that Kurt's doing there? Yeah, it's it, this. I think this whole thing is just a big departure, and it is kind of cool. Yeah, and it's cool. I think it's cool to have other people. What else do you got? What can you do that doesn't sound like everything else? I mean, the rest of Metallica is usually written, like we were talking about before. Headfield writes the riff, and then they build it off the main riff. This was not that way, and yeah, it's really cool. And then, like you said, you throw in that whatever that is synth or something. It's just a, it's it's it doesn't sound like a Metallica song, but it's a 
a cool change of pace. As far as, you know, anytime you go back and revisit a record that you haven't listened to in a while, you always, something always sticks out to you or you find some hidden gem or something you overlooked. Maybe it's just a part of one song you even know well. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a song you've forgotten about. For me, this was the standout. Like, this is something different. This is not what I expect from Metallica. I don't really remember this song very well and listening to it with older, more experienced ears. Like, this is kind of a, a rare hidden gem. And, and in something like this, it, it's too easy to get lost. You know, you've got all the rest of these songs. I mean, again, you, you're just like, oh, yeah, and that's this is one of the singles. You know, it can just get passed over. But, yeah, to, it, this is kind of the cool thing about going through here. And you say, okay, I'm going to listen to the whole thing. I can't skip any tracks. I've got to do all of this. Oh, yeah, why didn't I listen to this before? This is a cool song. I missed it. Shame mm-hmm. on me. If, again, honestly, I may not, I still may not own this record, its original form. I, I have a feeling I picked it up used and just haven't listened to it much. But because I eventually bought Binge and Purge, Life <laughs> Binge and Purge, that was like a live triple record and it had most of the stuff on there anyway. And, oh, okay. And at first you could only buy the box set. It had three video cassettes and a book and, you know, and then the three CDs. That's the only way you could, you could buy it. Eventually they kind of just released the CDs so you could just buy like the album. Yeah, because, yeah, when it first came out in that box set, I mean, that was pro- it was a couple of hundred bucks, I think. I mean, it was a it was a big investment. It wasn't quite that much. I mean, it may be a couple hundred bucks in today's money. But uh, but yeah, I remember I was like, God, that's that's special. They're not going to make many of those, and that's why I bought it. Foolishly, I sent my video cassettes to my cousins as they eventually got into it. I'm like, I'll keep the CDs, but they can have the video cassettes. I bet they'd like it. You know? Oh, I'm like, why did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> that's dumb. Because it, probably it's a pretty nice collector's item at this point. I'm sure they're. <laughs> And the thing is, okay, after the heavy, heavy album, you you know, you're going to the 12th song. You do have some lighter stuff on this. Do you end with a light one? No. You know, the struggle within starts as a march and yeah. it's very heavy. And the struggle within is something we all face, right? The demons we must fight and back to the unforgiven where, you know, you hold some of the keys to unlock some of these cells that you put yourselves in and hopefully you you can find your way out and whether it's alcohol it's drugs it's self-hatred it's it's whatever mental illness yeah, yeah a mental illness you may have something we all face i guess and it's it, this is a strange one too because it's only three minutes and 56 seconds yeah another short one another you know sick little solo from kirk on the end there very heavy and fast and you know it's not like we're not fading away on this album you know we're going out swinging yeah it is interesting because like you said you could you could have ended on something a little lighter and no it's just we're just going to punch you one more time before we leave mm-hmm. yeah and with a total with a total track length of 62 minutes and 40 seconds that is it's almost you're talking about the the albums from the 70s it's almost really two records it's so long i mean you know i mean it's it's not as long as and Justice for All and Justice for All with fewer tracks was longer but that's what Justice for All was these like eight, nine, ten minute tracks that drain the life of you um, you know so they, they shorten up a few things but yeah it was well, and I think too they made they made more tracks that they paid, played a lot if you can't have that many eight plus minute tracks, I mean, your fingers would just fall off. <laughs> like you can't, and you know, Hetfield's voice would explode. There's just this this entire record was made to be played pretty much. I don't. I think they they did do it on one tour, start to finish. Uh, but you could pretty much play all of these songs live. Well, I was wondering if they would, if there was any way they could tour this year. It's the thirtieth anniversary. Would they consider doing it all live, uh-huh. maybe this year or next year, if if next year is in fact when people can really tour again. But we got to talk about seeing them live in Fort Myers with our boys down there. That was uh, it was February twentieth, nineteen ninety three. So that kind of last part of the of the Black Album tour that they did in in early nineteen ninety three. And by the way, February twentieth is a wonderful time to be in South Florida. So it wasn't just uh, we had a great show. It was beautiful down there, man. It was an awesome day. It was it was nice. I couldn't for the life of me understand why they were playing there. I mean, I remember getting to the arena thinking, this place is for Metallica. This place is tiny. What are we doing here? The, the, the st- that diamond stage that was supposed to be in the middle mm-hmm. was wedged into one side of it because the place was not big enough to accommodate the in-the-round stage. Mm-hmm. But 
the thing that I remember was we're driving on this country road to get into the place. You know, you get off the highway, country road, bumper to bumper, just everybody's screaming. People are hanging out the windows and yelling. And I think there were even some people that were walking down the road because they got tired of waiting. Mm -hmm. We get to the thing and it says, you know, what what was it? The Lee County uh, Civic Auditorium, April 20, whatever it was, the triumphant return of Leonard Skinner tonight, Metallica. And I said, (laughs) ooh, Okay, we are, we, are. we are in Leonard's, we're in Leonard Skinner country. And then we got into the place, and yeah, I'm like, this place is tiny. But man, you talk about animals at that place. I mean, it was just, people were amped up, mm. like I said, on the way in. They were amped up in the parking lot. You know, and it was, it was really cool because it was like everybody was... You had that singular focus. Everybody, ah, you know, people had stuff written on their cars. Like they had written in like shoe polish. Like, you know, they put Metallica logos and stuff on there. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, this is, this is crazy. And, you know, to give some perspective, I mean, I feel like it was a, somewhere in like a 6,000 seater or maybe that with, you know, the floor open up there. And it may have been uh, no seats on the floor. It may have just been, if you can get. Yeah, no, there were, yeah. It was it was festival seating festival down there seating the down there yeah and I was actually yeah. glad to be up you know on the side like yes. have a seat that night I'm like because I was 19 in good shape could take care of myself I'm like I don't need to be thrashing around with all those sweaty people down there I think not for three hours yeah for three hours that's the thing man they did not having an opening act and they showed a video of them before to kind of warm up and they took you backstage and I remember to, to kind of interview the guys and talk to them a little bit before the show and I remember every fourth or fifth word out of their mouth was the F word it's like what right. the what the fuck is up fuckers we're gonna come out there and fucking tear your heads off for three fucking hours you know Allison Chains the only fucking band with the fucking balls to fucking open for us but they're in fucking Europe <laughs> I'm like okay guys we, we get it your parents aren't listening and you can say whatever you want it, it's alright you know but I mean yeah, but the, but I remember that too. Like they were almost like it was almost like they were angry to be there, which of course you know it's part of the shtick. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the crowd is just getting whipped into a frenzy. I mean, we were just in, like you said. I'm glad we were not on the floor. I mean, if you could have put me down there for one song, maybe, <laughs> but not that long. I mean, it was just yeah, building up the anticipation to rip the place down. I think if they had an opening band, yeah, you're right. People would have just booted them off the stage, get out of here. Maybe you know, and then they show the video of like the good, the bad, and the ugly, when he's running around the cemetery and they're playing the Ecstasy of Gold song, you know, yeah. and, and get everybody psyched up. And then they come out with Enter Sandman, boom, right in the face to start off. And then Creeping Death right afterwards, my goodness, which is one of my very favorites. But to come out and slap those two in your face, like now you know you're on the ride. And I don't know, man, just more than three hours, you know, they did, they clobbered us. And they, you know, the bass solos, the guitar solos, great. They played a lot of stuff from the new album. But when you do, before the encore, they did Master of Puppets. Then they did Seek and Destroy. Then they did Whiplash. After doing Bells and Fade to Black back to back, I was like, whew, oh, that's big. I guess they'll do a couple more songs for the encore. No, they had a five-song first encore and a two-song <laughs> second encore. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Who can do this? It's unbelievable. And it's cool because they threw in, for the first encore, they threw in Am I Evil from Diamond Head, which is a cool song. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, everybody's favorite, Last Caress from the Misfits. Yeah, and that's always that's cool because they've always you knew they were always a big fan of that kind of music, and it's cool to hear them. This giant band that can play whatever they want. You know what? I love this song so much. Everybody loved everybody. You know, you you can think that uh, Hetfield wanted to be Glenn Danzig back in nineteen eighty one. You know, just screaming "Last Caress" and the rest of those tunes. It's just really cool to see that. And you're right. Who does a five song first on? Well, you're done now, right? No, but wait, there's more. Because yeah, because the last song of the first encore was one, and everyone's like, well, they have to play one. So it's like, oh, they Correct. played, they played "Am I Evil?" Cool, but next will be one. No, they play "Last Caress." Oh God, they're gonna play. You know, are they ever gonna get there? And then when you they did, you're like, oh my God, that's an amazing way to finish. No, they're not done because they come out and do Motor Breath and Bread Fan to wrap it up. I was like, I just remember, you know, it was hot anyway because it's Florida. Yes. We've been hopping around all day. You know, we're drinking beers. There's people running around and skanking and mosh pitting. And it's just hot. There's hot lights on the guys and everything. I was like, it was hot anyway. And I remember just being done with that being, whew, ah, I need I need to sit down, you know. First of all, I got to get out of here. Then I got to sit down, you know. <laughs> 
I remember being in the car after the show and everybody just screaming at each other because you couldn't, I mean, your ears were just bullet. That was a great show. What? Oh, yeah. Let's stop and get some burgers. What's <laughs> 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 a Gatorade. <laughs> yeah, I need a rest and a shower and I need to go to sleep for a while. Yeah, and could you imagine, like, that's just, I mean, we were blown out after one night. I know. How about 327 of those? Unbelievable, you know. And now it's a little <laughs> different, you know. Like, I saw them two years ago at Slaying Castle. And Slaying Castle is a really cool, fun show that happens every two or three years at Slaying Castle in Ireland. And going back, you know, some amazing top bands have played there. Thin Lizzy, U2, The Stones have played it, Oasis has played it. I think Madonna played it, you know, before. You have to be pretty big time to, to headline it and, and pull it off. Queens played it. And so I was fortunate enough that Metallica played it. You know, it's it's to a kind of a natural bowl that comes down to a river. There's probably about 70,000 people there. And, and this is the third or fourth time I've seen Metallica. So they don't play quite as long. And I, like you say, on a festival, you cut it down a little bit. You don't have to, to go all out like that. But it's just, it's cool to see them. They're, they're still very in, much in their element live, you know. And, and now having Robert in the van versus when Jason was in... We saw them. It was just cool. I got to see some stuff that I hadn't seen in a long time and, and some stuff that I had not seen them play yet live yet because the Hardwired album had come out. I'm just glad I got to see it because it's one of the last shows I saw before lockdown, right? And it was that. It was the Who at Wembley. And then it was your boys, the Cult, on the Sonic Temple 30th anniversary. Those last three shows I saw. And so now it's been almost a year and a half since I've seen a live show, which is a long time. I mean, probably since I was 12 or 13 or something that it's been that long between shows. It did a great deal on the Howard Stern show probably the end of last year they did four or five songs from their Metallica HQ in San Francisco mm -hmm. and I think that they really don't get enough credit for being just a phenomenal band you mean to have four guys in basically a warehouse and just hammer these songs out and they had a million like they kind of panned around there were a million amps and it just looked like it it looked like a really really awesome garage mm -hmm. that you could just go out there and jam and yeah they, they sound great I'm sure that they're chomping at the bit to get out on the road again. Mm -hmm. um, I know they, they don't do stuff like this anymore. They don't do the 277 shows. They do the, I think, I think the deal is now they don't do, they don't spend any more than like 14 nights away from home. So they'll, they'll do a little leg, go home, little leg, go home again. Cause of course now they can fly and do whatever they want. But they, I think that it's just, it's a lot more sane now that they're older and wiser. When it was this album and these, that tour and all that, they gave them that power, mm -hmm. not only to continue to tour, but do what they want. Yeah. Two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks on, two weeks off. Well, that's really expensive. Well, that's okay because they're really right. rich, man. They, they live a different life than most other rock and roll bands. You know, you talk about the big four, it's Metallica and three other guys. Okay. That Those guys, the guys in Megadeth don't live the way Lars and James do. Are you kidding me? No. The guys in they Anthrax do don't have 10 of millions of dollars worth of art hanging in their homes you know it's it's unbelievable how much success that got them and allowed them to continue on to do it the way they want to on their own terms to this day <laughs> Well, that wraps up another episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock podcast, folks. And as usual, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? We want you to let us know. Follow us. Give us a shout out on Twitter at Ugly underscore Werewolf. And check out all past episodes at www.UglyAmericanWerewolf.Libsyn.com. Next time, we might go a little more back to our proggy roots. So stay tuned. Let us know what you want to hear. And for everyone all around the world out there, be cool and Stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 